When, um, when my kids were little, I'm, I'm Chris, by the way, I'm one of the pastors here, so in case you don't know me. Um, um, when I, my kids were little, I remember vividly many nights where um, they would be asleep in their bed and they would have a bad dream and then they would come and get us. Uh, anyone else have that experience or is it just us? Yeah, and, and hey, daddy, 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 mommy, 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 and you know, they want to hear your response to know that, that you're there, that you're present in, that, in the house with them. And I cannot imagine how terrifying it would be for a little child to be sleeping in a bed and wake up with a nightmare and, and reach out for their parent and have no response. To me, that, that, that thought of that makes me a little bit ill inside. To think that some kid is waking up and they're reaching out, hey, dad, hey, dad, and there's nothing coming back. That relationship building experience of the child reaching out to the father and the father reaching back out and saying, I'm here, I'm here, is such an assurance of that relationship. And, and many times I think we get into a, a little bit of a root, a little bit of a rut where we are doing that same thing with God, but we're not experiencing that reception back from the Lord, and so we just think he's not there. And that, that really leads into what we're going to be talking about today, um, because I know that in my life, feeling alone is a, is a terrifying and scary thing. Um, turn, with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 6. Um, this is an interesting time in the life of Jesus, and I want to do a little bit of ex- uh, experiment here to see, uh, I have this theory um, but so just, just go with me, okay? Our Father in heaven, keep going, thy, thy will be done on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us or sin against us. And lead us not to temptation, but, right, keep going. Wait, why are you saying that part? That part's not in the scripture. I'm kidding. It's not. You'll see that in a minute here. You know, all of us have heard this prayer many, many times. You notice the last three weeks we've been singing this um, Lord's Prayer song in order to kind of get it embedded in our minds, the words of the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we're talking about today. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, here's we, we come across a, a series of teachings that Jesus is doing on a number of different things. And, and we get to verse 5 of chapter 6, and here is Jesus beginning to talk about prayer. Uh, my goal here this morning is not to give you some formulaic thing that you write down and you pray through every day in order to, to, to feel like you've done your Christian checkbox. That is not at all what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do today is, what, is just to share with you the words of Jesus in, in a real way so that it impacts our lives for the better, not just so that we can connect to some ethereal something out there, but so that we can go boldly before the throne of grace and connect with a very real God who loves us and died for us. Verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the, in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So this is the first kind of prayer that Jesus talks about in this passage. And he's talking about these hypocrites. And you can imagine them. You know them. You've seen them. They stand, they stand up on the street corners and they're saying, 
Oh, Lord, our Father, and they're using lots of these and thous. They want to make you think that they're really, really holy. They want to think that they're really spiritual, and they're really, they're puffing themselves up by their prayers. These are people who are not necessarily connecting with God, but more connecting with their audience that they're praying to. But Jesus says, don't do that. That's not what prayer is about. As we keep going in there, he says in verse 6, but when you pray... Go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He begins to set the stage for these words that he's about to say in the Lord's Prayer um, by, by explaining that, look, you're, this is an intimate relationship between you and your Heavenly Father. And then verse 7, it says, When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. Imagine, just imagine, I've, I've heard a lot of people pray. I've heard a lot of people say the Lord's Prayer and know that they have no belief that that is going anywhere except for the ceiling. They're praying these words, they're saying these words, and it's like they're just expecting it to hit, hit the ceiling and bounce back down at them. And I, I hope that we never get into that routine of just saying words that don't mean anything to us because here's the situation. God loves us. He died for us, and he has given us this incredible opportunity to come to him all the time, no matter the time, no matter what's going on, in secret, and he is there listening for your prayers. That, I want you to imagine that when you say you believe in God, you actually believe it to the point where your prayers change that instead of praying to a ceiling, you're praying to a living, breathing God who hears you. Imagine if you said, our Father in heaven, and you heard, yep, I'm here. Just like that baby when they're afraid. And they wake up with a nightmare and they say, God, are you there? Dad, Dad, are you there? And then I respond and say, I'm here, I'm here. Imagine if you're praying these words and you hear the audible voice of God speak to you and say, I'm here, I'm listening, because that is the relationship that we have with the Lord. We may not hear his audible voice, but the prayers that we offer are to a very real God who hears us and loves us. Let's, let's read what he says here in verse 9. And before we read that, if you look at the, the other passage that shares this Lord's Prayer, it's a little bit different. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples are talking to Jesus, and they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. So there's a big difference here. They don't say, teach us how to pray. So they're not saying, hey, I need to know the formula that, you're, that you want us to use in order to connect with God. A plus B plus C plus D equals connection with God. That's not what the disciples are saying. The disciples say, we need to know how to, we, we need to know to pray. Teach me to pray. Teach me to actually do it. And these are the words that Jesus offers to his disciples. Verse nine, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some beautiful, beautiful words. And we're going to step through each of those words each of those verses to talk about what they should mean to us as believers. So let's start with this. Our Father in heaven. 
This is an important thing to understand. And when I say our Father in heaven, I know going in, Father is a loaded word, right? Some of us have great relationships with our Father. Some of us have wonderful, Bible-believing, God-fearing fathers who, who taught us the way that we should walk, and some of us don't. Some of us have fathers who are abusive and terrible. Some of, them, some of us have fathers who have loved us no matter what. And there's a, there's a wide spectrum here. So the, the word father is, is a loaded term. And yet God calls himself our father in heaven. There's a big difference, though, be, between our earthly fathers and our heavenly father. Because our fathers in heaven, I don't know if you know this, I'm a dad. Um, I have made at least two mistakes. At least two, right, kids, guys? Gabby's like, I can count them. I'm writing them down. That's right. Fathers here on earth are still bound by the fact that we are human, and yet God is not. The other major difference here is that we have a different relationship with the Father God than we do our, our earthly fathers, because there is a big difference between our father and our mother having us as their baby, and they're like, oh, I'm stuck with this kid now. Nobody, the fathers don't think that. That's not, most fathers don't think that. But God has a different, has instigated a different father relationship with us because it's not just a natural relationship that happened that produced a child. But look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. The relationship that we have with the Father God is not one of natural birth, but he chose us before the foundations of the earth to be in relationship with him as his son and daughter. That should excite you. That should absolutely be like, wow, that's incredible. Not, and not, he didn't choose us because we are awesome. He chose us because of his good pleasure of his will. God took great pleasure in choosing you as his daughter and his son. Great pleasure. So where you have a father-sized hurt in your heart that is broken and you don't know how to get over it, understand that the Father God loves you so much. He came to redeem that broken space in you by choosing you as his son or his daughter and in and out of love, not so that he could be, not so that you would feel better about yourself, but because he finds pleasure in you. That is the God that we can go to. Our Father in heaven, when we say that to him, we say our Father who loves us, who chose us, who calls us, who gives us an inheritance in him that cannot be spoiled. Our Father may leave us an earthly inheritance here that's going to rot, but what we have in Christ is something so much greater. J.J. Packer says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. It's true. Understanding this, if you got nothing out of this morning except for to understand that God calls us and loves us and chose us as his children, and it should change our hearts. It should change everything about us. 
because we have that unique relationship with the Father God. And yet there's another side of this. If you keep reading in verse 9, it says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Now, I'm not going to say that this is a bad translation, but I don't like it. Because your name be honored as holy. I feel like that just doesn't really get the, the gist of what is being talked about here. If you look at the older translations, it says this awesome word, hallowed. I wish we could use hallowed more often today. Like, it's such a cool sounding word. I know Halloween, but, you know, hallowing means something completely different than just saying like, Oh, your name is honored as holy. What you choose to hallow is where your heart finds the most joy, the most worth. So when I say I'm going to hallow something, what I'm saying is that you, this is of utmost importance in my life. My attention and my affections go towards this thing that I am holding up. So hallowed be your name, Jesus. Hallowed be your name. I am saying to God, back to him, I'm offering back to him, everything. He has chosen us as his son, and we say, I'm going to offer everything that I have back to you. I'm holding you up as the prime importance in my life. It's very important to understand that this is really the beginning of worship. Worship is not just a band standing up here singing songs. Worship is offering your life back to the Lord so that we can, ex we can express everything in us in a return to him in a beautiful offer of sacrifice. This, this word is onoma, your name is honored as holy. It's the manifestation or revelation of someone's character. So when we're saying hallowed, it's more than just holy is your, it's really honoring, it's expressing ultimate value. And I heard it said this week, um, I was listening to several different people talk about the Lord's Prayer, and um, someone says that what we hallow is what we value, and, it will, and it's what also controls us. So if I'm hallowing the Lord, if I'm holding him up as holy, then it changes my affections and it changes what I allow to affect me on a daily, daily basis. So if I'm choosing to hallow my job and the economy goes sideways and my job is at risk, then, then it, it affects everything in my life to an extent, and yet if I'm hallowing God and my job over here goes sideways, I still am holding up as prime importance the Lord. It changes everything. So I have been seeking the Lord this week to, to seek to hallow him more and hallow everything else less. It's hard. I'm telling you right now, it's hard. When things go sideways and you just don't know uh, what's going to happen, man, is it hard. And yet we can come back to God and say, Father, you chose me, you called me, you know me, you have good plans for me, you are holy, you are set aside, and, and I can trust you. Amen? Amen? The other really important part about this heavenly father relationship is that it's not just our earthly father, um, because it talks about him in heaven. There's a big difference here. My, my dad is, is still with us on earth here, right? He's not in heaven. So I would not say to him, Father in heaven, because he's not in heaven. And yet, positionally, when we talk about our Father in heaven, what we're saying is this. He is separate from us. He is, in, he is there and all-powerful and all-worthy because of who and where he is. He is not a separation of us with our hearts being separated from God because we know that he is here with us. 
However, it is a statement of where and who God is the Father. Let me explain because this is really hard for me to understand. But who created the earth? God, right? Who called us? God, you can, it's totally okay for you to, to talk back. I, like, you know, it's totally fine. Who empowers us to live our daily walk in him? That's right. That's right. Who saved us? God. He has all power. Without the power of God, without the sovereignty of God, without the holiness of God, the whole God our Father thing falls down on its face. Because if we're just worshiping a father over here who has no power, then we are worshiping nothing. If we're worshiping, let me say it again so you understand. If we're worshiping a father over here who has no power, who has no sovereignty, who has no ability to affect the things in our life, then we are worshiping nothing. And there are millions and billions of people around the world who are worshiping nothing right now. I had the opportunity to go to India back a long time ago, back way like in the 90s even. And when you're walking through India, there's all of these temples all over the place. And you know, if you go in these temples, there's all these little gods all the way around the, 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 the sides of the temples. And then like you'll come to one little cubby and there's Jesus. Like, what? What's going on here? It's like, well, we just, we kind of worship them all. It's like, well, this is dumb because only Jesus is holy. Only Jesus has the power. Why are you worshiping Vishnu or Krishna? They have have no power. They have nothing. We are worshiping a God. Our Father God is a God who impacts this world, both through us and in us. It's 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 something you really have to understand that we're worshiping a Father who is holy. Together, it's there's power. Apart, they're nothing. Because if we worship a God who is sovereign and holy and powerful, and yet we don't have the relationship with him, it's terrifying. Imagine the terror of a God over here who is all-powerful and all-holy and all-justice and all-righteousness, and he comes to these people and he says, I see what you did without the provision of his mercy and grace. It's a beautiful tension that that rides there between who Jesus says he is, who God is, and who he has offered us to become. So when we go to him and say, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, hallowed be thy name, it's a statement of who we are in him and who he is for us. And it leads into everything else in this prayer. Keep reading in verse 10. It says, your kingdom come, your will come be done. Kingdom is, a, is a, a funny word because we don't really experience kingdoms anymore. Um, but I met a, um, a missionary who was serving in North Korea. And he was up, I'm not going to go into de- in depth about where or what or, or anything else other than to say, um, I said, what's it like there? And he said, you know, as long as you understand that the head of the government there is like a god to the people, and you never talk about him. You don't. You can't raise your voice against him. You don't. As long as you just accept that he is all powerful in that realm, you're okay. Like whoa, that's you know, like that is very different than how we have our news today. You know what I mean? Like depending on which, which channel you turn it on, someone's talking about the leadership, good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. We don't understand kingship. We don't understand what the kingdom 
is. And yet, Jesus speaks many times about the kingdom as he's on earth. And it's an interesting thing because we have two aspects of the kingdom. One is that the kingdom has already come. Um, if you look in um, Acts 1, 6, and 7, he says that the disciples are gathered around him and they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Luke, they're talking, he's talking to the Pharisees and they said, when's the kingdom coming? And Jesus says, well, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So it's like, it's like a weird, you know, you have both the kingdom is coming and the kingdom is already here. And which is it? And I don't know. Well, the, the truth is it's both. The kingdom of God is here. When Jesus came into this earth, he brought the kingdom of God to earth. It's an amazing thing that we can serve the king of the universe here while we are on earth. And yet the, uh, the minds of the people on earth are blinded to see the kingdom. And yet we also have the other aspect of this is that there will be a time where God will establish his ultimate kingdom on earth here and everybody's going to know it. At the end of time, when we see him in Revelation 21, we see this beautiful picture that God is on his throne. His power is evident to everyone. So we live in a time of the, as Kevin likes to say, the already not yet. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. So when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying, God, we want people to see that your kingdom has come. We want you to, your, your kingdom to be made known to all of the people, but also we want you to come back because we want to see you. We want to live in that reality. It's a, it's a beautiful tension as well. And then we say, your will be done on earth as it is is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Uh, pretty much perfectly, yeah, because I mean, like, he's in heaven and he's in control, you know? His will is done in heaven. Again, we have another kind of weirdness here with the will thing, because there's really two, theologians like to talk about these two different kinds of will. They'll call it the, the revealed will and the mysterious will. We know some things about God's will, right? If we read through Scripture, we read over and over again about this is God's will for you, this is God's will for you, or this, this is something that he wants you to do, and that's his will. But then there's also this mysterious sovereign will that we don't really understand. We want both of those things to be on earth as it is in heaven. We want the things that God is calling us to do by his will, when he says, I want you to do this, we want those to be done well according to God's will on this earth. But we also want to see God's will his sovereign will take over the earth. As we continue to move through here, we read this hard, hard, hard passage. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. That is, a, that is really, I got to be honest with you, that's one of the harder ones for me um, because what I want to say is give me today my bread for the rest of the week. Give us today the, the bread that I'm going to need for retirement right? Give, it, give me today the bread that I'm going to need to put my kids in college. Give, us, give me today the things that I want. It's, man, it's so hard. And it's not by accident that Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. 
We go to the Lord when we're asking for a provision and we say, God, I need, I need this from you, Lord. Please give me today the things that I need for today. What does that do for us? That puts us back under his control and power. We're surrendering our own lives, our own will, our own purpose to his. We're saying, I am afraid. I'm afraid that I can't, I, I, I'm afraid that I can't trust you, God. I'm afraid I can't trust you, and yet I'm going to surrender that fear to you, God, and I'm going to put it at your feet, and I'm going to say, I don't, I don't need tomorrow, Lord, just today. Just today, Lord. I trust you. I trust you today, God. So please, today, give me what I need for today, knowing that tomorrow you will continue to give me what I need. Turn to this end of chapter 6 here. It's, uh, in my Bible, it's called the cure for anxiety in, in verse 25, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? When we are faced with the fear of scarcity, we can go to the God who owns it all. When, we're, when we are surrendering our lives to the fear of the unknown, we can instead surrender our lives to the God who knows all. And we can do it because of God's goodness and its faithfulness. As we continue through this passage in verse 12, it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Please, God, don't do that for me. I do not want to be forgiven like I forgive other people. That's scary, because I don't, I mean, look, I got stuff in my heart I don't really want to forgive. I, I'm, I hold people to a different standard that I hold myself, right? Don't, God, forgive me how I forgive others. Forgive me like you choose to forgive. And yet, Jesus tells us to pray this. So what is he talking about? Well, first of all, let me just say, I don't believe that this is talking about uh, a salvation prayer here where we're going to the Lord for the first time and saying, God, I need you to forgive me because I messed up. Um, because he's talking to his followers, his believers. Um, and so what he's saying is, oh, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses. This is us going to the Lord and saying, understanding that I am, I am far from perfect. I am, I am uh, even in everything I want to do, I can't do it. Just like Paul said, the things I want to do, I can't do. Things that, the things that I, I can't, that I shouldn't be doing, I do them all the time. And I don't understand this. It's again surrendering your own, your own will, your own desires to the Lord and asking him to help you remember the forgiveness that he's already done. Because if we are in him, if you are a believer in him, how far are our sins? East and west, right? If we come, if we call ourselves believers, if we have experienced the grace of God in very real ways, then what does that mean to us? It means that our sins are forgiven forever. Amen? We, let me say that again because I need to hear it. If we are believers, if we are called by his name and have been saved through faith, a free gift of God, 
How much does God remember our sins? None. None. Our sins are completely forgiven forever. And so he's clearly not saying to us that we need to continue to go back to him to ask forgiveness and over and over and over again so that we can retain our salvation. I don't believe that that is what he's saying here. He's saying to us, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think that what he is saying here is that we need to be able to understand the forgiveness that we have experienced, continue to go to him and ask for forgiveness so that it keeps our heart humble and that allows us to go into a position where then we can forgive the people who sin against us. If you are struggling with unforgiveness, if you have resentment in your heart, and, and the best way I've heard to describe is if you're resenting someone, it's you're re-feeling. So if you can conjure up those same emotions that you felt the last time that person did that, and you're like, man, I remember that time 12 years ago when this person slammed me, and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him out. If you can still feel the same emotions that you felt that time, you probably need to find a way to let that go. You need to find a way to forgive that person because you're creating in yourself re-feeling. It's literally, literally the root of resentment is re-feeling. It's time to let it go because you need to understand and I need to understand that the forgiveness that we have been given by God is something that is so far beyond anything this earth could help us understand. There is no possible way for me as a human being to understand the cost that it took for Jesus to go to the cross in order to have my sins forgiven. There's no way that we can understand the depth of forgiveness that God has given us. And he did it without asking for anything back from us. If we keep that at the center of our mind, how could we not forgive? I, I've been looking at the news like everybody else, and I see these, the war in Ukraine, and I see the war in Israel and Gaza, and I just think, how impossible would it be to forgive someone if they bombed my kid's party and killed all my friends? And yet God calls us into that exact level of forgiveness. He says, I, I killed my son for you so that you could have forgiveness. What are you going to hold back? What reservations are you going to hold back? Say, I'll forgive except that when I wouldn't even hold back my own son. Verse 13, as we reach the end of this prayer, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, there was a series of books when I was growing up um, that uh, they were pretty interesting as a kid. I loved science fiction and fantasy, and so I was reading these books, and I was like, ooh, these books are just like that, because, but they were Christian, and they talked about this spiritual warfare that we faced, and they had these pictures of these demons that would climb on the Christian's back and ride around and be like, let me stab you in the neck, you know, and it would be like, wow, and then I began to, to look at it and and it became like, oh, it's just fantasy. It didn't, wasn't real. And I'm not, I'm not saying that those books are necessarily theologically accurate. Please understand that uh, because there's a spiritual realm that I, I would like to understand more about that I don't. But one thing that it did bring to my mind is that there is a real battle that we face as believers. Ephesians talks about this, and it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. 
For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in this evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. We are in a battle, and it is not against each other. It is not a battle left versus right. It is not a battle America versus China. It is not a battle about anything that we think it is. It's not a battle about you and your family. It's not a battle about you and your work situation. It's not a battle about you and your kids. It is a battle for something much greater, and it's something that we don't understand. We are in an eternal battle for the souls of the world, and the people that our enemy is tricky and evil and deceitful and hateful, and he wants to see us die apart from God. That's right. That's right. All you have to do is go somewhere in the world and you can see that this battle is playing out. And yet we look in our backyards and we can see it as well. We are battling the wrong thing today. We're battling morality. We're battling social issues. And yet the battle that we have is against something we can't even see. How do you fight something you can't see? If you watch the stealth bombers... They can drop a bomb from 100 miles away. You can't even see it. How do you fight that? You can only fight that with a power that is greater than yourself. And so we fall on our knees before him and we say, God, Father in heaven, holy God, sovereign God, who loves us, who calls us, who died for us, God, protect us from the enemy that we can't even see. Surround us, Lord. Protect us in a way that we can't even understand so that we can stand firm before you and go to battle for you. It's the only way that, it, that this works at all. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, to take your stand. And so we look at this prayer and we say, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, God who called us, God who called us into, into a sonship that we could never earn ourselves. We thank you that you are far, far above anything that we can understand. We thank you that you are holy, that you are sovereign. God, bring your kingdom to this earth. Help us to see your kingdom come to life in our lives. We offer our lives to you as our king. We give everything back to you because you gave everything for us. Lord, come quickly, Lord, come quickly. We want to see your kingdom established on this earth. Lord, make our lives fall in line with the will that you have for us, Lord, and help us to see where your sovereign will is acting. God, today, help us to have our bread, what we need today. And Lord, put us in mind of the forgiveness that you have given us so that we can open our hearts to forgiving other people. Help us, Lord, to flee from temptation. And Lord, deliver us from the evil one. And you'll notice that that last little passage that we're all used to saying and singing, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is not in here. It's because it's not in the earlier translation. So if you're reading a modern translation, it's pulled that out. But it is 100% true. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>